Welcome to the first episode of the Heritage Hub podcast produced by the Marion County Public Library. Today's episode is on New Market, and here's your host, James Spragans. Today's show I'm very excited about. We're going to talk about a community called New Market. Our guest today is Richard Crum. Richard Crum and his wife Mimi, they live in New Market. He knows a great deal about today's subject. I'm very happy that he has agreed to come on. He's done a lot of research and he's been able to dig up some fabulous photographs that uh, we'll be able to present to you in some way. I'd like to welcome Richard to the podcast. Like I said, you've learned, you've you've come upon a lot. You've taught me a lot of things. Like I did not know about the, the Carter family that was a prominent family there. And you showed me a photograph of their, you would almost call it a mansion, this historic home that used to be there that they operated as yeah. a tavern. Give me a little bit about some broad strokes about the history of Newmarket, if you would. As you know, it started, uh, Newmarket's actually one of the first figures in Newmarket to try to sell it as a place, you know, important. He, he recognized what you just said. The uh, setting was just perfect and uh, was um, a guy named William Muldrow. And he spelled, in some of the readings I've seen with him, now it's spelled M, it's, in the old days it was spelled M-U-L-D-R-O-W. At one point I had seen that. And uh, in 1794 or thereabouts, he uh, got this idea of uh, drawing up a city plan for a place he would call New Lystra. And I started looking up the definition of Lystra and has a lot of, I don't know how to describe it, a lot of positive, you know, um, promising uh, shining city on the hill type connotations. There was a city in ancient Greece or Macedonia one that's named Lystra, and uh, he wanted to sell this as a you know a great place to build a city. And in those days, it looked really good. He in 1794 he started uh, developed a pamphlet, I guess you would call it today, where he had the streets drawn out and he had descriptions and with the river and the land and the layout. And he had these on the market in uh, Philadelphia for uh, investors. Hmm. And uh, there are some, I've read in other places, that it went as far as London, England. I don't know if some of the stuff was there or not. It, it may have been. But at that time, uh, Kentucky's on the outskirts of uh, what's going on. And people, uh, it just didn't go over. People weren't interested, and so that particular attempt just uh, faded away. As far as Lebanon and Newmarket competing, I, I always heard that that little story about Newmarket being the perfect county seat. Of course, it's not in the center of the county, uh, whereas Lebanon is just about you know close to the geographic center. And uh, I don't know. Um, I, I I was always told that the railroad was the deciding factor. 1857, the railhead, you know, came to Lebanon from Louisville. So there were just more. Plus, I don't know about the, the comparative populations either. I suspect there were more people in Lebanon there was in Newmark, which, uh, and it probably. Could I stop you real quick? As I understand it, I'm a, I go to the Presbyterian church here in town. And Lebanon mm-hmm. as a community was, was established by a group of Virginia Presbyterians Mm-hmm. Uh, McElroy's. Uh, also, I think one of those families was Handley, and and I believe Handley went to, moved to Newmarket, what's now Newmarket. He was one of the first settlers there, if I understand it correctly. 
Now they built their first church yeah. in Lebanon. And I'm not exactly sure why they chose Lebanon. You would almost, if you just look at it geographically, Newmarket is on the Rolling Fork River. And Lebanon was on Jordan Creek. So, uh, well, and also the Harvard yeah, Creek. Right. But if you were going to establish a community that, that intended to connect to the larger world, looks like you'd go to the, the Rolling Fork. Right. In those days, the Rolling Fork was navigable almost year-round. Uh, today, you have like the highs and lows because of all the forest has been removed. And so right. back in the old days, the forest litter and stuff would hold enough water and filter it, incidentally. Uh, and the river level stayed, unless there was, a, you know, just a gargantuan amount of rain, it stayed about the same. And there was a guy named uh, Martin Everhart who in 1799 was running a boathouse in Newmarket. Uh, just across from where Ward's Branch Road is, down off the hill there by the river. And uh, they would run flatboats out of Newmarket. And Raywick also did this a lot, um, all the way to New Orleans. And then they would uh, sell. Are you talking about the area? Are you talking about the area just below the current mill dam? Yeah, it's, it's probably uh, half a mile below it, yeah. Uh, somewhere in that area, maybe less, maybe an eighth of a mile below it. Uh, but somewhere, somewhere in that area, there was, I don't think there's anything left. I've never heard of anybody finding any trace of the deal, but um, I've read about it a couple of times. And uh, I think it went on for maybe, I don't know, a decade or so. And then uh, it sort of faded away. But these guys would go to New Orleans, sell their stuff, I guess whiskey, tobacco, and some other stuff, and then uh, sell the boat, the lumber from the boat too, and then walk back. And they walk back a what's right. called now are usually the Natchez Trace, and uh, that was a good place right, to get right. held up, if you might know, because it was well known that you had a little money, and so you had to be have your ears open and your eyes, your head on swivel. Uh, so that was one That's interesting right. thing. Like, uh, there was also an ice house on the river below the bridge on the Jesse Town side. If you go under the bridge going towards St. Joe, I think it, uh, Bobby Buckman, who was who died here recently, was telling me about uh, they discovered an ice house on the far side of the bank. And when it would have straw, uh, they discovered some poplar um, planks and things, and they identified it as a uh, an old ice house, you know, for storing ice during the winter when the, when the river was frozen. Now, you were asking about the uh, lagoons down between St. Joe and Jesse Town, they're the remnants of a Pleistocene lake that existed here. I'm not sure of the beginning and end. I know the Pleistocene era is anywhere from 2 million down to about 10,000 years ago. And that the lagoons are the, uh, it's where you can find the last sediment from this lake, which ran certainly from Bradbridgeville and inundated all of what's now Newmarket. Uh, to St. Joe and maybe beyond. I'm, I'm not sure if the horse you've been. Uh, see, there's a narrows just below St. Joe. I don't know if the lake, we, I've heard that it went all the way to Howardstown, but I don't know that either. But it was there, and we, uh, there used to be some uh, a Dever family in town that mm -hmm. one of the boys was a geologist, and he, uh, I, he, I got him to walk around with me, and he could identify by the type of soil and stuff some of the, the shorelines. 
of this lake, you know, up on a knob or not up on it, but just short of the knob. So that lake has always fascinated me. And if you drive uh, Stewart's Creek Road and you look off and you get about, I don't know, a half a mile from the end of Stewart's Creek going towards Campbellsville, you can see all of this bottom land and these points, you know, of uh, go out into what was then the lake. We used to find really old Indian points on some of these little protrusions out into what was then the lake. And they were old, like archaic and yeah. maybe even some paleo stuff. Um, so that would have been, it would be neat to be able to time travel back and see what that looked like. But anyway, I was always fascinated Absolutely. by that. That was a uh, something I, I'm glad I found a picture. Some guy in 1953 did a geological survey of it, and there actually was a lake. I never was completely sure that there was. So this Pleistocene Lake went from around Bradfordsville, you're saying all the way to Howardstown? Well, I've heard it's all the way, but on this map it stops at just below St. Joe. And I think the reason it stops, right. but I'm not sure, is that's not the end of Marion County. It may it, it makes me think it actually stopped there. So this was a mm -hmm. titled uh, Pleistocene Lake in Marion County. Uh, so I, I didn't know if it stopped right. there. Because you could go further and down towards Raywick and still. But I've heard both ways. But that map shows it to just below St. Joe. And it was pretty wide. It kind of makes sense when you drive to Howardstown. It looks like you have all that flat area. In fact, yeah. in fact they call it. There's some parts that are called the flats, you know, around Stiles yeah, and right. Yardstown. It, it looks very similar to the area we're talking about. Right, and the the, uh, the drainage pattern of the Ohio Valley is a little different because of ice ages during that time, you know, advances and retreats. You have a totally different drainage uh, of meltwater and stuff. And so that probably is the reason that you had a lake there to start with. I don't know. Anyhow. But that's a kind of an interesting little sidelight that's way back in, in time. Um, Newmarket was incorporated in 1817. It's the first, according to one source, it's the first incorporated village in Marion County. And it got a, I've seen two, two dates for the post office. Got a, a one I think is correct. They established a post office in 1820, which lasted until about 1906. And the Carters ran the post office in a store that was associated with it, which is like kind of like the Blanford store at Braversville. I mean, at Raywick, it's got a post office hooked yeah. up to the yeah. store. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a way to get, you know, it's where people, uh, it attracted business to the store, you know, a little bit. And uh, they were sort of, they sort of went together. Now, I couldn't find the old mill dam. It's got to be, in the early 1800s as a wooden dam. I found, I go back through the through the Collinses. They got it in 1879, and they kept it until 1923. And then another, Ray, Ray Bradbury, or I've forgotten his last name, bought it from them in 1924. But before that time, if you look on the uh, uh, map, the 1877 map that shows Washington and Marion County, it's a Library of Congress. You can find that map, and it will enlarge and still be, you know, legible. There's a uh, on the Old Mill Dam is labeled there, and there's two names associated with it. There's Chandler and Fawcett. Now, I don't know who they were, 
but they were they preceded Collins. That's who Collins got it from. Uh, now I don't know. They're the ones that are somebody. If they're, they're connected with the guys who first started it, nor do I know exactly when it first started. But it, it's probably in the early 1800s they dug that sluice, you know. And it was an undershoot mill, a mill which is a little. You had to have that. It didn't have a. You know, that was just because of the lay of the land and stuff. Uh, and the foundations and stuff are still there. Well, that's what I've heard. When it uh, when the water's low, I've heard you can see it. What kind of a mill was it? Would you bring your grain? Oh, yeah. Well, mainly corn. That was probably the, any kind of a grain. Of course, you have to change what they call the burrs in the mill uh, to suit the diameter of the grain, but that's easy to do. They're just two stones, you know, turned together. Uh, there was, right. uh, I think, lots and lots of people would grind corn to make bread, cornbread. You know, cornmeal and flour, which was a little harder to come by, that'd be wheat and stuff. Uh, the mill would, in my understanding, could grind any of them just by adjusting. My dad used to, when he was a kid up in Eastern Kentucky, they ran a little mill, and he said that that you only had to adjust, you could adjust the diameter of the grain in order to grind it right and so on. Now, there's a place, in fact, um, he lives up a road yeah. that used to be known as Joe Ray Hollow, and there's an old road that goes from, well, it's, it's where the Coon Hunters Lodge is, across the road from it. If you go back in that little subdivision and go far enough back, you can find an old road that goes all the way to Phillipsburg. And people would bring their stuff from Phillipsburg, and I, I probably, I don't know, a, I don't know, seven or eight mile radius to get it, you know, ground. So uh, that was a big deal in those days is to get uh, your grain ground so you can have, you know, cornbread, uh and you raise hogs or whatever else you can, you know, have. Uh, so I, I'd say the mill was a really, you know, uh, cutting edge uh, business uh, back in the day. Which which I would think would have also been a reason that Newmarket had a leg up on Lebanon. Because, yeah, I yeah. Mean, like I said, Lebanon only yeah. had the Hardin's Creek. Yeah, uh, Cartwright, of course, it's above it. It just starts. It's not very big. But... On paper and by, from a geologic and geographic viewpoint, Newmarket looks a lot better. And I'm not right. sure until technology caught up with it and you had the train. And then it looks really bad. <laughs> so I don't know all the ins and outs or how intense the, comp the competition was. Uh, I've always heard there was, you know, that, that ended Newmarket's hopes of being, you know, uh, something more than just a little village. Like you say, the Lebanon Turnpike, you see the name Newmarket all oh, splashed all over historical accounts of Marion County uh, because of the roads that went through. Sure. And there was a road off of uh, Boulders Hill, which comes out just to, well, if you go, if you go to Jesse Town, take a right, and, the, and there's a big curve going left, there's a house there was being torn down. The driveway of that house is where that road went through there. And it comes out. It's nothing like the present, you know, turkey foot. This was a straight road up a very long hollow that came out at the top of Finley Ridge. Uh, if you turn right on Finley Ridge, you'll go back about a mile, and then you'll have a sharp turn to the left. And that's where that road came. I've walked that road. In 1838, they decided they would make a bridge across the river, and at the same time, they extended that road from Newmarket to Lebanon and then on 
further in 1850 to uh, Springfield. Way I've got it. I may have the dates a little bit wrong. But there was a Wathen also involved in that. He was one of the general contractors on that. And uh, I think he went over budget and may have gone. I don't know if he went bankrupt or not, but I do know that people that lived on each side of the road had to, were charged with the upkeep of the road to a certain degree. Like if it went in front of my front field, I had to help out. So the road is, you know, you see it all the time. That bridge was built in 1838 and then it burned up in 1922. Somebody got their car on the bridge and stalled out and it caught on fire. You're talking about the covered, you're talking about the covered right, bridge. Right, covered bridge, right, yeah. Somebody's car stalled at the bridge and evidently fired the bridge up and it burned up. Now, during the Civil War, in some of Morgan, in, in uh, Morgan's, some of his, he, he's had two or three forays up in uh, Kentucky where he comes through the market. Uh, but one of them, the Union took the planks up. They took the planks on the bottom of the bridge, oh. the wooden planks, and uh, so you couldn't roll across. Morgan, uh, he won the skirmish, and instantly you can find lead washing out of banks and grave shot and all kinds of stuff down in that area. Um, I have found lead all the way up in the knobs, like behind where we live. They would shoot and then miss everything, and the bullet would go up and hit the knobs, and then it would wash down to a fence line. Uh, and, of course, lead turns out to, and it oxidizes to a white color. And I was sitting by a fence line. I was like, the world? So one of those 58 caliber uh, Balls, somebody fired off, probably a Confederate guy shooting towards the Union on this. So there were several skirmishes. Another thing connected with the Civil War, there's a super interesting character named Dennis Hallisey. He was, uh, I'm pretty sure, born in France. And he moved to Florida with his family when he was just a little kid. He was educated in St. Augustine, Florida. By 1850, at 20 years old, he was up in Hayesville, in Marion County teaching school for some reason. I don't know how it all happened. And there was a doctor in the Hayesville Hotel. This doctor sort of took uh, Alice under his wing. Alice got interested in medicine, went to U of L Medical School, went to Philadelphia College of Medicine, became a doctor, came, came back to Marion County to Manton, and uh, in 1857, 58, and was a doctor there two or three years, but he was like a ferocious unionist. And he, uh, when the war started, got involved in a big way, Re uh, set up a uh, company. And uh, in 1862, the uh, Morgan was retreating through uh, from Springfield through St. Mary's and on through uh, Jessetown up over Moses Hill. Halsey rode down through Newmarket, I guess trying to see, I don't know what his exact purpose, he was a colonel, incidentally. He encountered some Confederates, and they got in a little skirmish, and he got shot right in the face. Uh, and in fact, in the right square, <laughs> I don't know why they did this, they went one inch above the eye and half an inch, and then, you know, killed him, of course. They, they brought his body up to Lebanon, and I'm sure, you know, involved and so on. And he lay and stayed in Lebanon for three or four days. And uh, Miss Foster, oh gee, Foster Ray was a big prominent guy in town at that time. They had a wreath on his head and all kinds of poetry and so on. And 
as, as they say it, and then he was carried to St. Rose Cemetery. He's, you can find his grave oh. in St. Rose Cemetery in the Hamilton plot. And it's Dr. Dennis Hallison. I've never heard that name. Could you spell the last name? H-A-L-I-S-E-Y. Dennis Hallison. Let me ask you one more question about the turnpike that just occurred to me. Now, these turnpikes, they didn't do it just out of the goodness of their hearts. They did it because it was a money-making venture. Oh, yeah. And, and so they all, like the turnpike, when you think of a turnpike, it's like a turnstile. And that's so right. these, these toll houses, that's where they would collect money or you turned around and went home. Yeah. So yeah. do you know, and I've always, I've heard that out here, not too far out uh, Springfield Road, uh, there used to be a home that's been torn down uh, that, that it went out log structure that used to be a toll house. Was there one in Newmarket also? I'm not sure. I do. Here's the ones I do know. There was, of course, one down where the uh, Pizza Hut used to be down at the west end of town where the Mexican restaurant is. There used to be a house there before your time. When I was a little kid, there was a guy named Cy Williams who was a... I know exactly what you're talking about. I knew yeah. Cy Williams. And yeah. I remember when they tore the house down, Dad, oh, yeah. my father took me there. We went yeah. through it. And I heard that was a toll house. You're right. That was a toll house. It was right on the road, as you notice. And uh, there's another one at Mount Roy Pike. There's a toll house. But I tell you where you can find out where every toll house in the county was. You get on the the government, the uh, Library of Congress, loc.gov, and you get that map, 1877 map of Marion, Washington, and it's got every one of those toll houses identified. You'll you can blow it up and move it around on the screen, and you can see uh, exactly wow. where every toll house was. Uh, but you're right; they. Uh, so we've already named. So we've already named three or more toll houses. They really hit you up, boy. If you had to go from Newmarket all the yeah. way to Springfield, you got hit up three times. Yeah, yeah, you get. So they hit. knew what they were doing. Yeah, they had a they had an idea in mind there. Did your understanding that the Presbyterian Church was the first church in Newmarket? I don't know if it was. I'm not sure. Here's what I know about those two churches. There was a Baptist church at the lower end of town, all right, okay. down where the second cemetery is. There's two cemeteries in Newmarket, yeah. and the lower right. cemetery, they're both on the right side of the road if you're going south. In the lower cemetery, there was a Baptist church there that got destroyed along with the Presbyterian Church in the 1870 tornado that came through Newmarket and just ripped it to shreds. Wow. Um, the, I, I do know that the Presbyterian Church was around 1840. I've read that. Um, and I don't, I don't know about the Baptist Church. Now, that Baptist Church didn't, in fact, when the tornado came through, the Baptist Church had some material set beside it to put a new roof on. And um, it just blew everything all over the place. And so by 1874, that church relocated to where Mulder's Hill Baptist Church is right now. A man named Sapp, I can't remember his first name, donated the land. And so Mulder's Hill sort of came out of that lower Baptist church. And then the Presbyterian Church yeah. got blown away in 1870. And they didn't rebuild until 1902. It, it laid uh, no church there. In 1902, they rebuilt that wow. church. And it lasted, I don't know, they, they got so small, I believe it was in the 30s, 
that they were absorbed by the Presbyterian Church in Lebanon. And the building stayed there from, when I was a little kid. The building stayed there until the early 50s and they tore it down. Because um, I remember seeing it when I was just a little kid. We moved there in 1950. When I moved, when my dad moved to Newmarket, and my dad and mom did, uh, there was uh, Miss, there was one, there were two stores. There was a Miss Beeler had a store right at the end of our road, just before you wow. get to that first cemetery. And there was a guy named Dan Collier who used to work at the Ford Garage, own part of it, uh, who made it into a dish barn uh, in the 1960s. And then there was another ch uh, store down where the old post office used to be, where Mike Ferris, who's now passed away, his lane, right where his lane comes out, uh, and also uh, Les Richardson's uh, place, there was another store there. And uh, there was a character who lived at the end of that lane in the 1900s named Rob Benningfield. And Rob, ben oh, listen, he, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a, just a crime. There wasn't some kind of video recording, audio recording deal. Uh, he was one of the funniest guys in the universe. Rob Benningfield weighed about 275 pounds and uh, uh, was just a character. Um, if you, <laughs> there's nothing. He was a painter. Well, when he started out his younger life, he cut railroad ties. A railroad tie, green, weighs about 260 pounds. And Rob was a big guy. He, he carried uh, ties out on his shoulder. And he, in his later days, was a painter, and he didn't drive. So he would get out on the road, and everybody knew him, and take it, just like catching the bus. He'd go to town, paint till 2 o'clock, and then go home so he could make all of the stores in the area and listen to everything and tell big lies and stuff like that. Uh, but now, some of the older guys will still remember him. He was a piece of work, and, uh, without a doubt. Uh, Quantrell's Raiders also came through a couple of times. The last time they came through was, uh, they came through February the 8th. Explain who Quantrell was. He was like a guerrilla raider, right? Oh, Lord and mercy. There, in those days, in the latter part of the war, there were a lot of these bands that under the auspices of being a Confederate or, or a Union would go around raiding places. Uh, and basically they were murderers and thieves not all of them but the, right. by by the most of them were not you know uh, patriots as you would say and Quantrell was one of the worst he started out in Missouri he had James um, he had Frank James was in his bunch for a while um, and he, right, he right he encountered a union group that he uh, of soldiers by surprise and wiped them out and took their uniforms. And so now he could go freely almost anywhere he wanted to, at least in certain areas, dressed, he and his guys dressed as Union soldiers. And they they could right. get the one up on you that way. So anyway, there was a supply train of some type of Union supply train coming through Newmarket from the south on February the 8th, 1865. And Quantrell's Raiders intercepted them there and killed four of the guys. And they kidnapped four of the, I guess, officers, 
took him to Graversville and shot them up there. So he was just absolutely uh, brutal. He was caught later. He right. died in prison in Louisville. Uh, Quantrell did. He's got, an, if you ever look him up on Google mm -hmm. or wherever, he's got an interesting early life uh, uh, before he became a raider. They're mostly opportunists, those those raiding gangs. There was a Sue Mundy also that uh, I think was a man yeah, under. Right. Yeah. You know, so all of that, but that happened in Newmarket uh, just before the end of the war. And uh, mm -hmm. the, the two, uh, let's see, the 1870 tornado was written up in the, what's called the, I think it was a Lebanon Clarion. Um, it was a paper in the 1870s that only existed for, I don't know, two, a few years. And if I'm not mistaken, the Enterprise may have kicked in right after that. But the Lebanon Clarion had a whole two-page article, if you can find it, on this tornado. It gives you every little particular. So they send somebody out to interview everybody and so on. Uh, Newmarket, incidentally, also had a doctor, a Dr. Lipscomb. And um, he, uh, I don't know anything about him, but he shows up on the map. 1877 map. Um, so they had they had a wagon shop. They had they had a post office store, uh, uh, blacksmith place, a medical doctor, two churches. You know they're pretty accomplished little. Of course, in those days you didn't go to town every day. You went to town maybe once every six right. months. You know, so you had to be kind of self contained. Yeah. yeah. And. Uh, but that's a real interesting thing to read about, and you can find it. Um, uh, some people that are better on the computer than I am can find that article in the Lebanon Clarion. It's really, really interesting because it tells you a lot about who lived there. One thing that's interesting when you told when you told me about that 1870 tornado the other day, I have always heard that Lebanon has never had a tornado hit it directly, and I've always heard that it was because of the you know, that Muldra Hill escarpment always kind of shielded, shielded it. But I guess by being in all that flat area of the, of the lagoon, the lagoons, uh, Newmarket wasn't protected in that same way. Yeah. it uh, Well, these tornadoes can pick up and drop down. I always thought living beside a, uh, right underneath a knob was a protection. And I guess it is a little bit, but mm -hmm. you'd be amazed how, how, uh, they, the tornadoes usually run from southwest to northeast, so it depends on on what side of the hill you're on. <laughs> and, uh, sure, right. Yeah, and so anyway, they, they had a bad one. We had one in, I don't know, about 30 years ago that just nicked Newmarket, got a few barns in it, down on the Jesse Town side of it. Now, something else I want to tell you is, in the graveyard, there's this is kind of a sad story. There was this which graveyard? The first graveyard, the Presbyterian. There was there's a grave in the back of this gotcha. graveyard with the just a simple gravestone, and it survived pretty much intact. And it's got Florence Newcomb, N E W C O M B, born 1875, died 1881. Now Florence's story, her dad was from Newmarket. And he moved to Texas, a place called Grayson, Texas, which is almost up in the panhandle. All right. 
Florence was born in mm -hmm. Texas, and she had a little sister born about three years younger than she was. Well, uh, this Newcomb fellow, I can't remember his first name, his wife died. And so he decided that he would be better off moving back to Newmarket. So in 1881, they got on a train and they transferred, I guess, in St. Louis, the way the story goes. And uh, somewhere between Grayson and Lebanon, the two little girls got smallpox. And so did the guy. And Florence died about two mm -hmm. weeks after she arrived in Newmarket. And her little sister died about, I don't know, two or three, we or two or three weeks after that. The dad survived the deal, and they had a, that's written up also in the Lebanon Clarion. Uh, they quarantined okay. the family, of course, because they knew it was you know contagious. And uh, I, that sort that story to me is always real sentimental because you got if you're in schools a lot, you see little second and third graders, you know, and you wonder, well, how scary. Here's this little kid whose mom died. She gets on a train with her dad yeah. goes to a new place she gets sick and she dies and she not only dies but dies in quarantine pretty rough mm -hmm. you know deal and uh, so what we do every now and then about every year we take a little a bunch of flowers and put it down on her headstone it's just a sad story you sort of feel connected you think it's making her feel better or something but anyway She's a sort of an unusual story about the upper cemetery. The lower cemetery has the older graves in it. Some of those are in the 1700s. Born, you know, and there's a few in the upper one, too. They have uh, some of the names, you know, your instance. One of the big families in Newmarket that you don't see anywhere around here is Mussens, M-U-S-S-E-N. If you look at that 1877 map, they're just full of Mussens. One of the Mussens named William was a lieutenant in the Union Army. Their name is Moppen, but it's spelled M-O-P-P-E-N instead of the way they spell it now. <laughs> For uh -huh. some reason, I guess, and I, I'm assuming it's the same bunch in general. There were Spiveys, right. Carters were real big. There was hit. There were a couple of Hickey families, believe it or not, that lived in our near Newmarket. And there's Taylors. There's a house at my place used to be on my place with a man named John Taylor. I was down, I had my strawberry patch down there in his backyard. There's the only mm -hmm. thing left now is a well. And I, I come up with all kinds. I came up with clay pipes. You know, the, the uh, oh, that was wow. a common deal. And well, for a couple of centuries, you had like cheap, you know, clay pipes. I came up with a couple of those, all kinds of things. 1886 silver dollar. Somebody... Lost it, I'll bet you they were, <laughs> you know, that's a lot of money in, in the, those days. Oh, yes. His yeah. house was a, was a house. Yeah. It was around, built around a log cabin like some, there's several houses around that are, that are built around old log cabins. But anyway, some other names are Sapp, Miller, uh, Taylor, Parsons, Lake, Newcomb, and Carters. Those are some of the, big ones around Newmarket. Newmarket School was, I don't know when it was started, I'd say it after 1900, somewhere in the early 1900s, but it closed in 1948. And you have a couple of uh, pictures there. So it had a school, there was a school in Jessetown. Uh, the one in Newmarket was 
like most of them, uh, K through eight. But new market in, in general is, uh, I've, been, I've been trying to get David Doherty to put a big sign, and he put a little sign up for new market. If you drive out there, just pass. I noticed that. Yeah. But I'm, I'm now I'm trying to get him, I kind of lay off during the COVID uh, deal to put up a real big sign with new market on it. And because uh, when you see like uh, weather maps on Channel 3, Channel 11, they'll have new market on there. And uh, so there's a lot of uh, every other little town around has got St. Joe, Raywick, just that and the other, uh, except for New Market. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty, uh, you know, in the early history of the county, it's a pretty significant little place. Carters owned a, a fairly large farm that the uh, Buckmans now own. And they had a family cemetery that's back at the edge of one of those knobs. I haven't got it totally located, but I found somebody who was doing something in 1976 that roughly gave me an example of where it's at. And some boys went up and I think destroyed all the headstone. Kids, you know, doing stuff except for one. So you won't mm-hmm. find a Carter. I don't think there's a Carter buried in any of those, either of those two cemeteries. And uh, they had their own, and so there's actually three cemeteries in uh, in Newmarket. One's a family, and they were quite big, you know, a lot of cars. And I don't know when that big house was built either. I need to find that out. I couldn't discover that anywhere. Could I ask you about, looks just, I don't know anything about it. I've barely sure. planted a garden in my yard, so yeah, I don't right, know right. a lot about farming. But yeah. it looks like excellent farming land. Am I right about that? Oh, it is. Oh, it is. Uh, it gets better as you get away from the knobs and towards the river, of course. Okay. Because you, those, the river, of course, deposits sediment. And over several centuries, you know, thousands of years, you get, that's why your bottom land's got like 10 foot deep soil, is all the river, right. you know, flooding and packing it up. That whole, right. the whole area through there, just like all of Marion County, has a lots and lots and lots of Indian occupation. Uh, there's, uh, mm-hmm. like I said, you find stuff from 10,000 years ago some places. If you go to Camelsville and you see grain bins on your left on the big road, and just after you cross mm-hmm. the river, you see some grain bins on your left. The field on the right, yeah. back towards the river, is if you look at it on a Google Earth when there's no crops on that field, mm-hmm. you see all these little black areas where uh, fire, charcoal, was you see the outlines and it is uh that's one of the ways they the state when they build roads if they want to check to see if there's an archaeological possibility that they don't want to just rip up they'll look at aerial photographs and outlines of things will show up that you can't see from up close at all you can see uh you know they that area was used as a seasonal According to when I used to work in Louisville, I went over and had me grid that field off uh, or look for stuff, and I would mm-hmm. mark down exactly where I found it, take it to U of L. They I got friendly with them. I'd give them the, all the artifacts and where they were found, and then I found a uh, one day I was looking at a cornfield, and I found three teeth, and I went, "Whoops, those aren't uh, deer teeth." And I found a little odd bone, and I thought I'd 
looked kind of like a smashed vertebrae. Turns out I took these to Louisville and they carbon dated it for me because I'd been, you know, helping them. And uh, turns out it was some individual who carbon dated at about 2,100 years ago, give or take 300 years one way or the other, you know, era factor. So this place, you can just find Indian stuff all over the place. It, it's amazing. You know, a pretty rich area. It, it's my understanding that, right, it's my understanding, though, that there weren't year-round Native American settlers no, here. Right. They came yeah. through, they came through, but they would stop at the same places, on, yes. you yeah. know, year to year to year. They would yeah. stop at yeah. the same places, and so you'd have an accumulation right. of artifacts. That's right. Now, that's true. The uh, Kentucky uh, used as a sort of a of a uh, temporary. That's true back for about a thousand years. Before that, it's a totally different story. You have um, like the woodland culture, the Adena culture from up in Ohio. Uh, lots of cultures that, in fact, down below Raywood towards Howardstown, there's several mounds down there that are uh, have all kind. Or they're not. They don't exist anymore. They've been excavated. I don't know about. But anyway, there's Proctor not his history talks about it. So what you just mm -hmm. said is basically true during the historic period, maybe for a thousand or a couple thousand years back. Before that time, there were most of the Indians in the area were on the move anyway, and they did just what you said. They were more hunting and gathering and less fixed agriculture. And so they would, they would, they would make the rounds right. and they would have a, like a winter camp somewhere down, maybe in the, around Louisville or where there's some shelter and overhangs and stuff like that. So yeah, you're right about, it's amazing mm -hmm. how much stuff you can find. I mean, you, you go through a plowed field and you'll see stuff all over. We are coming up upon an hour and it has flown by for me, but I don't, but I would like to give you the opportunity if there are some high points you wanted to hit that we haven't gotten to yet. But I also have a couple of general questions. What was it like? So you, you've lived there since 1950. I'd like you to talk a little bit about right. what's, it been, what's it been like to live there? What was it like in the early years when you were there? And, and also, I want you to talk a little bit about the Woodland Inn, which we have not mentioned. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. My mother used to go there to dance. <laughs> yeah, I've always heard they had live music. A good friend of mine, Andy, told me that he used to go there, and they had a great little yeah. jazz group that oh, came yeah. in, would play there, and he come there. As a kid, we used to love to go. My dad, uh, who was Clark Crump, was a master. I don't know how to put it. Uh, he could get. Um, he 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 enjoyed getting other guys worked up, playing with them. And, mm -hmm. you know, just uh, messing around with them. So I would go to the stores with him. And, of course, Rob would be there and a few others. And they would have, I mean, it was like way better than later. Oh, it was just, you know, every night you'd go to one of the stores. And then as I got a little older, the store traffic changed over to Jesse Town. And there's a million stores. Sometimes we got to get on there. Uh, I probably got 50 stories about uh, things that happened, this and that. You know, entertaining little deals. 
about how this guy set that one up yeah. or what this guy did here. But it was uh, my recollection is that it was uh, the the stores and the older people around there uh, just listening to them tell stuff was was really neat. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were no baseball teams or anything from Newmarket. It was pretty much not a cohesive like village, you know. You didn't identify as a new market, new marketing or whatever. You know, it was just a good uh, country type of, uh, you know, with some stores for entertainment. And we had like sure, this, sure. all kinds of characters. Now, Woodland Inn, um, you know, the Netherlands, Yes. in my in my time, there was Jack Netherland. See, in those days, you had to sell beer at a different place than whiskey. But the Woodland Inn, it yeah. still exists in name only as a liquor license that I think uh, the Sims family owns. If you look Is at that, the yeah. little building to the right of the cut-rate liquors, you'll see yeah. it says Woodland Inn. And as I understand no, it, they'll sell a beer a year just to keep their license going. Is that right? I'll either. That's neat. Uh, yeah. I remember Woodland Inn building when I was a little tiny kid. It was yeah. a white clapboard uh, type affair. And like I say, it, it ranged from being a good place to go dance until the uh, Payne brothers, like the Marion and Joe and all those guys, they used to be, it used to have the reputation of being a pretty rough place. Adolph Hill, if you remember Adolph, told the story of being in there one night and a big fight broke out. And he uh, left, and uh, there were bottles flying around everywhere. And he got home and noticed he left his hat down there. And so he drove back down to get his hat. And when he got back, there were still bottles flying around because nobody could get in and stop. <laughs> <laughs> they just had to run down as their own accord. Who ran the Woodland Inn? And what years yeah. would you say it was in operation? I would say it was in operation from the late, from the 20s to just about 1950, early 50s. And I don't know, I okay. know in the latter part, I believe the Netherlands were involved in it in the latter part. I don't know about the earlier times. Mm-hmm. And I have, Adolf Hilp has told me, Adolf was a walking reservoir of all kinds of good stuff. But uh, I'd say the, the 20s to the 50s, early 50s, would be, would catch the woodland in. And uh, like okay. I say, my mother used to go down there and go to dances. And that's what people did for entertainment is uh, go dance. Sure, you know, sure. They, right, they right. Big deal. But uh, the right at the beginning of the 1800s, this is a, looked like a totally different place, you know what I'm saying? You could walk through the forest and uh, be uh, clear on the bottom because nobody had cut the trees yet and it shaded out all the, uh, you know, the little stuff. So the whole area, mm-hmm. and it had a whole different uh, set of... Uh, Animals. You had uh, mountain lions. You had bobcats. You had bear. Bears are back wow. in. So you had a whole sure. different, whole different deal. And the rivers and creeks were clear as a crystal, like you say. Uh, there's stories about Cartwright Creek being being able to see down big fish in the bottom. Now all you can see is mud. It wow. gets real big or real little. So that's to me the big thing right. is the change. Richard Crum, thank you so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of the Heritage Hub podcast. 
For sources mentioned and additional information on the topic of Newmarket, please visit the Marion County Public Library website.